Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. I am Sam Davis, not the host of the Oklahoma Drill, just a guest. Joining me is an actual host, Alex Purdy, and another guest host, Nathan Hill. We are unfortunately not joined by usual introducer Ryan Maxey today, but we will do our best to talk about everything going on with OU football, uh, the national collegiate football landscape, and everything in between. Boys, how are we doing today? I'm doing, doing well. well. Yeah. The uh, the reason why Ryan is not with us today is that he is currently en route to Oklahoma from Arizona, where he now lives. So, obviously, safe travels to our friend. Um, I figured I hope, today... I hope when he goes back to Arizona, he's not taking Alex Grinch with him. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no, I think that uh, Arizona needs to make the home run hire of the San Jose State coach. Um, it's a he no-brainer, like, really. He seems yeah, like who would not fit. want to make that hire? He seems like a perfect fit. His name is not Alex Grinch, so I'm all in for this hire. I've, I'm really invested in Arizona in Arizona making this hire, so mm-hmm. um, hopefully that can that can work out for us. Just give us one more year, Alex. Really, that's all. I, that's all we really ask for. That's all uh, we ever wanted from the start. Yep. Right. Just yeah, turn the defense around. And and win us a national championship is that too much to ask? I don't I don't yep. think so. Then just ride off into the sunset. You know. No. Um. Okay. So recently, you know, obviously OU just won their sixth straight Big Twelve championship. Um. This one was probably you know we we haven't potted all season, right? We, I don't think we even introed the season. I know most of us were pretty down on the prospects of a football season before it started. And the way the season started for OU, we were very unenthusiastic about how it was going. And so we just never really found the time or energy to really pod through the season. And so we're going to to try to make up for that a little bit and do today. We're going to focus on recruiting and we just had a signing day. Uh and then once Ryan gets to Oklahoma, we're going to have like a kind of season reflection slash maybe talk about the cotton bowl that I guess is going to happen, even though Florida might not be there. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, today we're going to focus on recruiting. Um, we're obviously, we're excited that we just won the sixth straight big 12 title. I, I would think that other fans in the big 12 are probably feeling pretty hopeless right now because yeah. This was the year to get us, and they just couldn't get it done. And what's crazy is it was probably the best like contending team that we've had to play in any of the other uh, Big 12 title games, and they still couldn't beat us. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, in, in, in a season us. where Tom Herman had a ninth-year returning starting quarterback, Mike Gundy had the best defense he's ever going to have. Yep. You know, those were supposed to be the two teams to finally dethrone OU in the Big 12 this year. Neither of them even made it there. And like you said, the we got the most competitive team that deserved to be there out of the last, you know, six tries. They haven't all been championship games, but we got the most competitive team. And it was one that was rarely even expected going into the season. So, I mean, if this wasn't the year, when's it going to be everybody right. else? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, OU this year, freshman quarterback. You know, everyone knows about the ridiculousness that 
even playing a football season this year involved. You know, there was just so much uncertainty and, you know, guys missing for various reasons, you know, whether they had COVID or just were getting contact traced. Like, it was the most difficult year to probably be breaking in a new quarterback and a bunch of young skill guys. For sure. Um, and we, but we, we somehow got it turned around after a one and two start. And yeah, like you said, Iowa state was the number six team in the country. And the only other team that I think you could compare is probably 2017 TCU. But like, I don't know, they had Kenny Hill playing quarterback. So Uh I feel like that was a little fake. Um, but I think Iowa State, it's probably safe to say, was the most balanced team we've played in this run because their offense and defense both had things that gave us trouble. Um, so I think in that sense, like it, they had a good chance. And, you know, obviously we made it closer than we should have. But at the end of the day, I at no point really thought we were going to lose the game. Like I know there was that last drive, but yeah. I felt pretty confident that our defense was going to make the play um, because – it just that just seems what to be what this defense is about now, which is is kind of crazy. But we'll talk more about this on uh, hopefully Wednesday with Ryan. I'm sure he will have some thoughts. But let's talk about recruiting. And I think that this kind of if you link this to what I said about how hopeless the rest of the Big 12 might be feeling right now, I think uh, it is a pretty good illustration of how well OU is recruiting right now in Mm -hmm. comparison to the rest of the big 12, just there's a considerable gap being built. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, Texas is the only other school that recruit recruits, you know, on anywhere of the same level um, as OU and they've shown that they can't develop guys. So OU is getting these high ranked classes and they're now they're, they're developing them now on both sides. Um, I mean, Schools like Iowa State and TCU sometimes and these other schools, they do a great job of developing, but they're still rank, getting classes that are, you know, in the 40s or lower. OU's, you know, getting almost every year top 10 class this year, even with the class size that's several guys smaller than like the classes around it is still going to be a top 10 class. Um, it's just the talent that they're accruing is in comparison to the rest of the conference. It's just there's no real good comparison. And. You know, we, we just talked about how we had an offense that, you know, was very young and, you know, they, they this is a terrible year for them to be young, but they're still winning with that. So um, adding more talent to that, getting older, it's just going to be even better, you know, in the coming years. Um, it's it's very impressive what they're doing, especially on both sides of the ball now. Right. Well, and, you know, if. You know, we, 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 we talked a lot about the blue chip ratio before mm-hmm. and OU is kind of stabilized since 2019 at around 63%. It's slowly creeping up. Um, I think it's going to keep creeping up and the rest of the conference, Texas is second right now with about 60% of their roster being four or five stars, which is, is really good. But like you said, mm-hmm. they've shown that they don't develop those guys very well. And yeah. And 63% on it, like a national level is really good. Like, I think Clemson's, that's pretty much on par with Clemson. Yeah, like Clemson's right around that. I mean, Alabama's, you know, no one's really in the ballpark with them outside of maybe like Ohio State and kind of Georgia now. Right. But um, OU's right in that next tier. Um, yeah. And considering their, you know, their geographical 
disadvantages as far as in-state, that's, you know, that's really, really impressive because even Clemson has more talent in-state than Oklahoma does. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's a problem, or if you're a fan of one of these handful of privileged fan bases like we are, a blessing that is just going to keep compounding on itself. Like you see, and we'll talk about the college football playoff in a bit or on the next episode, but it is there are only a handful of teams that legitimately have a chance to ever compete. And people are now realizing that even more and more. So there are only a handful of teams that are going to be hoarding all this talent. And you already see it. Ohio State has won four straight conference championships. Oklahoma's won six straight. Clemson's won six straight. And then the rest is SEC. So, I mean, there there are not a lot of teams that are going to get to recruit top-level talent the top level talent is going to continue and realize more and more that they have to go to one of these teams. And I would not be surprised. You know, you're already seeing Texas take a step back because they haven't gotten any results out of this recruiting. Um, and I, I think the blue chip ratio teams are just going to get fewer and fewer to where, I mean, they're, you know, I don't know how many teams are on the list now, probably close to 10 or 12 or so. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being, you know, eight teams in the near future where you have Ohio state, Clemson, Oklahoma, I guess you could have a, maybe four or five sec teams. Um, if a and M, you know, they theoretically should start falling off pretty soon, but <laughs> I guess everyone for some reason thinks, you know, all, all the, they see the Texas recruits that aren't panning out and they think, Oh, the place that I should be going instead is Texas a and M instead of, you know, the team up North that's actually winning things. Yeah. But anyway, I think the the number of teams that are going to be hoarding these this talent is just going to get smaller and smaller as the years go on. Yeah, and you know, college football has always kind of been like this, but I think what we can see now is that you know, it, it's just so much more obvious because back in the day you had Mac, you know, you had uh, magazines or newspapers or something that might publish a list of guys, but they didn't have stars next to their name. There wasn't all this science around it. I mean, Barry Switzer has a quote that he said, you know, 30, 40 years ago, of I don't know who will be winning a national title. And I don't, I don't remember exactly how the quote goes, but it's something along the lines of, I don't know who will be winning the national title 50 years from now, but it'll probably be one of these 10 schools. That's kind of how college football has always been. But now you can actually see it down to like the, like the minutia of how rosters are built and, you know, what the star average star rating of rosters are and how it's laid out geographically. So you just have all this so much more information and recruits are aware of that now too. So they can, you know, just go on to rivals or go on to 24 seven and say, Oh, you know, this is, this school is, you know, doing this with this talent. I should be going there instead of, you know, just having salesmen in your living room selling you on the dream of what might've been 30 years ago. So I, I think it's really interesting Maybe it's not a new storyline for college football, but I think the storyline of why it's happening is fairly new for college football because recruiting services are only a 20-year-old industry, and they've been getting much more and more publicized and exact maybe just the last 10 years. Yeah, well, and, and if you look just at the Big 12, you know, I, I talked about OU being around 63. It's it's really 64%. Uh, Texas is at 61%. And then you go to third place, you're looking at TCU at 22%. And like you know, that's, that's crazy. I wouldn't have even guessed it was TCU at 20. Um, I right. guess that's just their metro, the Metroplex, like, because yeah. they've only been in the conference for, you know, 10 years or so. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's surprising. 
Well, and yeah. the thing with the thing with that is that you know that's the blue chip ratio, which most people that listen would be familiar is you know just the number of five stars on your team in relation to the entire team. TCU, they aren't even you know their recruiting class next year in the Big Twelve is ninth out of ten. So all that's yeah. saying for TCU's purposes is they get one or two five stars or you know high level recruits in the DFW area. And then the rest of their class is nothing. And that is just absolutely not going to get it done in the college football landscape today. Oklahoma State has the third ranked recruiting class uh, for 2021. And, you know, what Mike Gundy has been doing in recent years, he's not, you know, he typically had put together a, a solid class of mid four stars, low four stars and three stars. And he would get the occasional like one guy, you know, a, a Texas football player of the year, like Spencer Sanders, a guy like that. Well, he's just putting together the group of, you know, low four stars, high three stars, and that's all he's doing, not getting the occasional blue chip guy. Mm-hmm. And that is all it takes to get third in the Big 12 right now. Yeah, it's yeah, they, crazy. Yeah, they've signed zero four stars this year. Like, it's, it's all two and three stars for Oklahoma State. Um, and... You know, I think these schools deserve credit. Absolutely. You know, it's impressive the success that Mike Gundy has sustained without that elite talent. Iowa State right now, they're last or they're second to last in the Big 12 in this ratio. They're below Kansas in this ratio. So obviously (laughs) there are things that you have to be really good at to make up for not recruiting that top level talent. But as we saw this year with Oklahoma, Oklahoma had a million things working against them this year, and the talent was still able to carry them through to win the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just don't see that changing. And I know in our, in our next podcast, we'll probably talk about how well things are set up for Oklahoma moving on into next year. But um, for now, we're going to focus on, on recruiting. And so I kind of want to go just kind of player by player and give a quick little – take on everybody you know this we're probably going to talk about 18 guys it's not like i know we've done pods like this before that have lasted forever because we were signing 25 26 guys but that's that's really not the case this year um one of the things that lincoln riley talked about on signing day was that they realized early in the process that you know they weren't going to have visits and they weren't going to be able to go evaluate guys so they decided that they were just going to have to take a small class this year um and so they that's what they did very yeah. few i don't did they go after anybody late like i don't no. think there was anybody that they offered late in the process that they even really even tried to go after it was like all right we're gonna get the guys that we already know about and if they don't if we don't get them then we're just gonna roll into next year and have extra scholarships to hand out you know, there were definitely three or four guys that they would have loved to take and added to this class um, that they just didn't get, and they did not try to replace them with backup plans. Yeah, and I, I, you know, in the moment, it can be, you know, a little frustrating. I, I think people were getting, you know, why aren't they going after this guy? Why aren't they looking at that guy? But I, I think Lincoln's logic is makes sense. If if you're if you're not a hundred percent on the evaluation of what you know about someone, they didn't want to gamble on someone that they might you know be committed to a scholarship for four or five years whenever they can hold that spot for someone that they have more thoroughly vetted next year um 
I think what he talked about is, you know, they're very deliberate about the guys they took this year. They, they, they're either people that they had seen before everything shut down or, you know, they were able to have to get size and weight and height and measurables, you know, through other avenues. So they were able to answer whatever questions they had. But as far as the lady guys, because you see that every year, guys have great senior seasons in Texas or wherever, and they earn offers late. Like this is an old example, but the first thing that comes to my mind is Jeremy Beal was that person, you know, in 2006 or so of, you know, had a monster senior year in Texas and was a late OU offer that ended up being a great player. Well, this year they just weren't able to do those in-person evaluations. So they weren't able to do that. Um, and I, I think Lincoln was being cautious and, probably one of the only staffs that was truly doing that because class sizes on a national level still seem at least in the top 25 of the recruiting rankings about normal size. So I think he's kind of saying, we're just going to take the guys that we know a lot about. We're going to evaluate the transfer portal um, for guys. Maybe we cherry pick a few from there and then we're going to roll over into next year because we have a veteran team next year and use those extra spots on a class that will be able to much more thoroughly vet um, in person next year for the 22 class. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's go ahead and start. We're just going to go position by position, starting with quarterback. And, you know, I think that very few people would argue that the the quarterback position at Oklahoma is, you know, it's, it's being run about as well as can be run. You know, the, we got, we signed the number one quarterback in the country this year, Caleb Williams. Um, the entire story of, quarterback recruiting at Oklahoma this year is kind of insane given that um, Caleb Williams was like our second option at quarterback. Mm -hmm. We, we had a guy Brock Vandegriff uh, committed for a long time and he decommitted, I think on January 1st, it was like the day after we got our ass kicked by LSU, which was made us all feel really good at the time. But (laughs) we, we turn around and, you know, we go after Caleb Williams, a DC area area quarterback And personally, it could not have like I don't think it could have gone better for us because, A, I think Caleb Williams is a better prospect than Brock Vandegrift because of his mobility and just his overall the intangibles he brings to the position. And B, like that dude is the single best recruiter I have ever seen from any recruit in the history of of football. Like the kid was amazing. Like yeah, the, the guy personality was, just seems off the charts for Caleb Williams. Yeah. Yeah. This is a guy that, you know, he, he realized that OU wasn't going to be able to have kids on campus. So what does he do? He organizes an on-campus recruiting event himself that OU could not have any involvement with. You know, they called it the Sooner Summit. He had, like, multiple of these, right? Mm-hmm. And it really wound up helping our recruiting class. I mean, it didn't – it didn't like knock it out of the park. We didn't get all the guys that we wanted from it, but it went a long way for a situation that we couldn't have guys on campus at all. Um, so it was, it's pretty incredible. And additionally, the kid's an early enrollee. He's going to be here in the spring and he's been living in Norman for like a yeah, couple his, months now. His senior high school season got canceled due to COVID. And so his family just moved to Norman and you thought maybe he was going to like, he was doing that to get a chance to play like at Southmore or something like that, play for a 6A title in Oklahoma. But it was literally just to be closer to here, be around the program, start working out and hanging out with guys. And like 
I'm glad that he was, you know, that's not an easy thing to do for a family. I'm glad they were in a privileged enough spot to do that. But that's just like an awesome thing for a guy to do. It shows how dedicated he is to the program. There were reports that have come out that, you know, even when Brock Vandegrift was committed to OU, that Caleb Williams had told Lincoln Riley that even if there wasn't a scholarship for him, if he was only giving one quarterback a scholarship, if it was going to Brock, like Caleb was still coming here and he was going to walk on and earn his way here. I mean, he just seems like a dude. He's seems like every teammate is going to love him. He's not, you know, Spencer Rattler, you're kind of worried about him butting heads with guys when things start going sideways. But Caleb Williams, like the personality you're not worried about at all. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I've never seen any, I've never seen any one with that much pull um, as a high school prospect with other people. He, the way he was organizing kids from all over the country, he was talking to people from all over the country and they were actually, you know, he had enough cachet behind his name and uh, it was just, I don't think we'll ever see it again. It it was just incredible. He's like you said, he's probably the best high school recruiter I've ever seen. He was doing it in a pandemic year, and he was still getting five stars from you know multiple states flying in thousands of miles on their own dime to visit to visit the school. It's just nuts. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very very impressive, and I think that's the number one thing. I mean, he's an incredible prospect, and we can get into like the the nuts and bolts of that in a second. But the intangibles, I think, is just the very first thing that just are just so readily apparent with him. Yeah. So let's let's talk about him, the football player, because he is he is quite good at football. So he's he is not just a recruiter. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the first thing that you notice with him is that he's a high level athlete playing the quarterback position. You know, sure. he is a kind of guy. Honestly, the way that he runs the ball, he do, he reminds me of Jalen Hurts quite a bit. He's not the the Kyler Murray who is just like this the quickest guy you've ever seen. He's mm-hmm. one of those guys that once he gets in the open field, you're not really going to catch him from behind and he can he can make moves in the open field and be elusive, but he's not just like a 0 to 60 in like half a second type guy. He it yeah. takes him just a couple a few steps to get going, but then he has pretty elite open field speed, which that does remind me of Jalen Hurts. He's not quite as big as Jalen, but I think he's going to wind up being, you know, a, a, the similar size enough to where he can really punish defenders with his running game. Um, he's he's definitely not going to be a guy like Kyler who is running around and sliding everywhere and avoiding hits. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be a much more I, you know, I think you could see a, a situation much like Jalen where he ran, he runs for like a thousand yards. Like I, I seriously think that that could be a big part of the offense with, with Caleb Williams. And then, you know, as a passer, um, I, I don't know as much about him as a passer as say I did, you know, Spencer Rattler, like Spencer Rattler is the most obvious thing ever that he's an incredibly talented passer. Like you just watch the guy throw, a couple passes and you're like, holy shit, the ball just comes out of his hand differently. Um, I think Caleb Williams is really good, but I, I don't know exactly how good, you know, and if you look at his high school numbers from a passing standpoint, you're, you're not going to be blown away by those. But I, again, I don't know the situation, you know, I've seen some highlights of him throwing to receivers where they just flat out drop them. So um, I don't really know what to make of of him as a passer, but I I tend to think he's probably pretty good at it. 
Yeah, so like you said, he I, he's extremely athletic, and he, like you said, he, he's more in the Jalen Hurts mold. He's you know, kind of a thicker, stronger body type, and he's got you know a lot of speed. I think I would probably say it, in the end he'll be a little faster than Jalen. I don't think he like you said. I don't think he's as big, um, but as far as the actual ability to throw, I think he's really good at throwing on the run. In his highlights, you know, in his huddle, I never really saw him throwing from the pocket very much. So I think that'll be something that, you know, he'll probably need to work on uh, in Norman. And then, you know, I don't really know as far as like mid-range touch throws. I I think he's got a very strong arm, like a very live arm, because I've seen him, you know, just make some really uh, impressive, you know, across the field outs or some, you know, or deep passes, you know, very, you know, that show off arm strength. But as far as, you know, kind of being able to feather passes, like I'm thinking about that, uh, a couple of throws that Spencer threw in the big 12 championship game where he just kind of, you know, feathered it over a linebacker and dropped it perfectly into, into the receiver's hands. I think those will be things that I just will need to be questions answered, uh, for Caleb, because I think everything else, the runner, he's, you know, exceptional and, will be a, able to bring a lot for, you know, for that skill. But as far as throwing, I think we just don't, like you said, we just don't know. There's some questions out there. Um, I think he has a very strong arm and probably a lot of arm talent, but there are a few things that he'll probably need to work on, especially that pocket presence uh, right. whenever he gets into college. One thing I'm really excited about with, with Caleb Williams is that, you know, this comes right after we saw early in the Big 12 championship game, uh, Lincoln Riley put Chandler Morris in at the goal line to run a touchdown in. I think that that's going to be Caleb Williams' job next year. And I really <laughs> like – Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really like that transition process for quarterbacks because, you know, he's not going to be – he might not even be the backup quarterback next year. He might be third string, but – He's probably going to be able to get some snaps under his belt and actually play some football um, before he is a starter. And he might be a starter his second year on campus. He might be a starter his third year. I don't know. It depends on what happens with Spencer. But he will be playing. I feel pretty confident that Lincoln will put him on the field, even if it's you know like what he did with Kyler in 2017. It won't be a bunch, mm-hmm. but he's going to get some reps on the football field, and I think that's a positive thing. You know, you know what that makes me think of, and it's probably just because we're playing Florida here in a few weeks. But Florida does that a lot with Emory Jones um, in kind of these run packages. They'll throw him out there. That's and Emory Jones, for those yeah. unaware, is uh, Florida's backup quarterback. He's a right. very talented runner. Not nearly the passing threat, at least not coming out of high school. Maybe he's gotten a lot better since then. Uh, but not nearly the passer that Kyle Trask is, but he's a very very uh, talented runner. So maybe they do that with Caleb's son. I thought you were going to throw out the Tim Tebow thing because that's... Uh, I was trying really hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, let's move on from Caleb Williams. We're, we're all very excited. Obviously, it's great to sign another five-star quarterback. That's We want as many of those as we can get. Um, I do want to hit on running back because it is a... It's an important position. You know, today, TJ Pleasure... Announced that he was going to the transfer portal. We wish TJ the best of luck. Um, Did not work out perfectly for him at Oklahoma, but he had a few moments, so that's that's good. He had the Texas game, which he was really good in. So, Um, but this this position really comes down to Kamar Wheaton, Um, and there's not a whole lot to say about Kamar Wheaton other than 
His recruitment has been one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Yeah. There's um, not a whole lot to say about him because he doesn't say a whole lot. <laughs> so, right. Like, OU uh, thinks that they're going to get him, but they don't really know because he never really talks to them. Yeah. It's, it's but he talks to OU bizarre. more than anyone else. So, yeah. And whenever we say, like, he doesn't talk to them, like, usually recruits will have, even if they're not publicly saying things, they'll, with the coaches, there's still communication, you know, oh, they check in every week or every, you know, there's some sort of consistency going on. Kamar just apparently, you know, from what reports say, he just kind of goes radio silence for just long stretches and doesn't talk to anybody. So everyone's right. just kind of guessing. It's like, does he still like us? How, yeah. what's he feeling? And, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't really, it kind of concerns me. It's a bit of a red flag for me because I just don't know how much he cares about football. Um, like if I knew that like he was just kind of a weirdo or, but you know, he would put in the work and everything, then that's fine. But it, as far as Kamar, the football prospect, I mean, it's undeniable what he is. He he's, he's a home run threat that we haven't really had. Um, I mean, who, who's the last like true any snap you can take at the distance guy we had as a running back. Um, it it's might been a be while the, since we've had one. It might be DeMarco Murray. Yeah, the only one that's like a freshman. Yeah, like Damian Williams kind of had some of that, but that's I still, true. but he doesn't have the speed that Kamar has or DeMarco right. as a freshman had. I, yeah. I mean, we just haven't had that guy, um, and that's right. that's what we're talking about with Kamar. Kamar, I mean, the comparison I like for Kamar is I like Ronald Jones a lot. And that's who he reminds me of. Um, very much a north-south one cut gets gets going and he if he can get you know if he hits the hole and he has daylight not many people are going to catch him he's extremely fast so yeah. um and the cool thing with him is you know he he kind he's still kind of thin so i think he's go- only going to get faster and more physical whenever he gets in a college strength and conditioning program but he's just a kind of a weird duck you know i don't i don't really know what to make of him supposedly he's supposed to commit in two days on the 23rd so yeah We'll see what happens there, but you know, I I can absolutely envision a scenario where, you know, he just doesn't commit that day and doesn't tell anybody, and everyone's just kind of wondering what the heck's going on on the twenty fourth, and you know, from there on. So, right. Um, but yeah, as far as the prospects, you know, it's undeniable. You just hope he likes, actually cares about football. <laughs> so we'll see. Right. Yeah, and I don't want to make any you know, snap judgments about him as a person, you know, he might just like, he might think the whole situation, like the whole recruiting process is weird. And he's just like, yeah, I mean, last, he might've told OU a couple weeks ago that he was going to go to OU and then thought that that was good and just hasn't talked to him since because he told them what he was doing, you know, and that's not a normal way. That's not the normal way recruits handle things, but maybe that's how he does. And that's fine. Um, but we'll, the normal way, I mean, I've never seen anybody do that, do it like this, you know. No, so no, he I is agree. one of a kind. Um, yeah. But, you know, like you said, maybe that's just how he does it, and we'll, we'll see. I, it, um, like yeah, you no, said, I don't want to make any judgments. So right. Certainly, if he, comes, if he comes here, we're looking at a home run threat at running back, and that's awesome. We need that. He's also – he's a five-star – running back on rivals mm-hmm. he's the top 10 player like we haven't signed a running back this good since joe mixon 
Like this would be a big deal no. um, if we wind up actually getting him. I just I just hope that on the in a couple of days he quietly tweets that he's going to OU and then we don't have to worry about it. You know, it, so it should be said that OU is according to Kamar, which he commit or uh, he tweeted surprisingly a, f- a couple of weeks ago that he was going to commit on Wednesday. He it's down to OU and Alabama. So for those who might remember, that's the same two schools that were involved with Jace McClellan last year. Alabama flipped Jace McClellan. Um, yeah, I, I didn't so it would really sting for that <laughs> two years in a row yeah. um, to lose that. I think the word is that Alabama might not have room, but with Kamar, you know, who knows? I mean, it's just a bizarre situation. But it is, it's like strange. you said, he's an, you know, he's the most raw talent guy that we've been involved with since 2014 since joe so we'll see um what he does in a couple days what he hopefully does in a couple days yeah you mentioned that he would be the best home run threat that we've had since demarco murray and luckily that is the guy that we have recruiting him right now so i think that's true that's funny that is uh pretty beneficial i would think in recruiting i mean if you take a look at this dude that is recruiting uh kamar for alabama jeff banks i mean would you want to get recruited by this dork ass dude or demarco murray <laughs> and it's yeah. like not even close jeff banks former uh a&m coach so that tells yeah. you everything um, right yeah that's yeah. funny i didn't even make that connection but you're right sam um uh, the What's... funny thing about kamar demarco not to go on too much of a tangent but you know him as a freshman versus him as a senior were just in really in his whole NFL career were just complete, two completely different running styles. Like, yeah, a lot of people think of DeMarco as this kind of, you know, between the tackles kind of guy. But as a freshman, he was absolutely the, you know, get some daylight and take it to the house guy. Um, he was very Wheaton-esque. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's pretty impre- incredible how much his game changed. Definitely. I think the injuries played a role, but the For dude sure. just got big. He got big. Like there's no like he yeah. became a really physical running back. So still big, still. Oh still yeah, he's to play. Yeah, absolutely. I I guarantee you, if you if Demarco you put him out on the field this year, he would have been our best running back. So. <laughs> Probably um, so. All right, let, let's move on to the wide receiver position. Um, this is another position that OU has recruited incredibly incredibly well. Um, and let's start with let's start with Cody Jackson because he was the first of these guys to commit. Um, he's from Richmond Foster, the same school that gave us C.D. Lamb. He's a four-star recruit on Rivals. Um, you know, if we've we've been doing some player comparison type things, and I think there there's a pretty easy player comparison to make with Cody Jackson. And it's not one that you're probably all going to love because I think the player comp here is Charleston Rambo. I I love a Charleston Rambo. I mean, I'm a Charleston Rambo fan. I have been from the start. I think he he hasn't been as great this year. Um, really, no wide receiver has completely stepped up. But I never really thought Charleston Rambo was a guy that you'd want to completely step up anyway. Like, that, that shouldn't be your number one guy, but he is – an incredibly valuable piece to have if he is, you know, kind of an ancillary wide receiver type yeah. of guy. And, and I, we're not like, I love Charleston Rambo. I love any guy like in that mold. Yeah. And so the thing as, about as, Rambo, the Rambo comp, like I can see it, 
I think Jackson is a bit better of a prospect than Rambo was coming out of school, though, um, out of high school. I think he has a little bit more uh, shake. I think I think he's a little bit more athletic. Um, I think he could, he's better with like contested catch situations. I, I think that's actually one of his you know his talents. He's he's kind of thought of as like a as like a deep threat, a very vertical receiver. But he's you know he's proven in his highlights. If you watch him. He's pretty good at high, high, high pointing the ball. He was, you know, he made the got Moss segment this year. So he has some, some things that Rambo didn't really show out of Cedar Hill whenever he was coming out of high school. Um, I think it's a, a fairly valid comparison, but I think he, I would say Jackson is a little better than Rambo coming out of school. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you're right. I think so. I, I was higher on Rambo as a high school prospect. I really liked Rambo as a high school prospect. Yeah, he has not really revisionist history on my end. So. Right. He <laughs> hasn't really turned out to be the receiver that I thought he would be. Um, but, you know, knowing what we know about Rambo now and knowing the upside of Cody Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the upside of Cody Jackson is higher than what we've seen from Rambo so far. I just, I, I just remember, you know, how skinny Rambo is. And Jackson's skinny also, but. I think I don't think he has as far to go as like uh, mm-hmm. development is concerned, and I don't remember like the ball skill, you know, um, being quite as evident with Rambo. I, what I remember from Rambo is, you know, he's very fast, um, and really that's all I remember from Rambo. He kind of glides, so mm-hmm. um, I think that Jackson just has a little bit more to to speak to speak for with his with what he can do. Um, he still might. I would still probably rank him. Actually, I, I know I'd rank him uh, three out of three of the guys we have committed. But I, th- I think you know, I could see him absolutely playing and um, being a you know a good rotation player in the year coming years. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, let's let's go on to to another guy, uh, Jaleel Farouk, um, four star wide receiver from Maryland. This is a a guy very much tied to Caleb Williams. Like they're they're best friends apparently. And I think that getting Caleb Williams pretty much sealed the deal with Jaleel Farouk. So Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what is OU getting with Jaleel Farouk? He's listed as he's, he's listed to be a pretty big receiver. He's six two one ninety. Yeah. What are they getting with Jaleel Farouk? Well, you know, I've seen people like throwing out like the Sterling Shepard comparison, but you just said he's six two one ninety. Like he's already bigger than Sterling Shepard was, uh, yeah. Maybe like in play style, he does that a little bit. I think what you really notice with him is he's very he's going to be like a big receiver. Like I bet he's six two two ten whenever he's playing. Um, right. Very you know compact, um, strong receiver. I don't yeah. think he'll be like a burner. And this is one of the things, if I remember right, two two four seven's player comparison for uh, Farouk is Kenny Stills, and I just think that's a very weird comparison. Um, yeah, the one I'm seeing on 24/7 is Riley Ridley. Uh, um, maybe they was, changed. It. Yeah, this was from, or the the evaluation at least was from two years ago. The comparison and projection of those can update whenever. But yeah. and this was back then. They said he carries 200 pounds, like it's 185. So I mean, if, yeah. if two years ago they were saying he's playing at 200 pounds when he's really listed at 190, like yeah, he could easily be bulked up to 210. And carry it super well. By the time you know he's been through a real strength and conditioning program, 
And that's right. that's just another you love having different kinds of receivers like that. Like mm-hmm. the that's a completely different kind of receiver than Cody Jackson is, who's a completely different receiver than the next yeah. one we'll talk about, who's completely different than the five stars we got a year ago. So I mean, you love to have that kind of variety, especially with an offensive mind like Lincoln. Yeah, and the thing with I like with Farouk, you know, I was kind of a little so-so with him whenever he committed, but I went back and watched his huddle lately, and I think I noticed some things that I didn't notice the first time. I think he can be a pretty good route runner. Um, I think that's probably what he's going to, um, if he's going to be excel at anything, that's probably what he'll be. I think, you know, a decent route runner. And I think the strength, like you said, Sam, it brings something to the table that the other guys don't have. Cause we just said Cody Jackson, a pretty thin guy. He's never probably going to be someone that just out muscles people. Um, then there's also some interesting, uh, position flexibility with Farouk. Uh, I know Alabama was looking at him as a safety. So if things don't work out at wide receiver, maybe he would be able to switch and play defense. So th- there's that comparison that's kind of, you know, dangling out there as well. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. Um, and, it, you know, honestly, if he wanted to just start out as a safety, I would not complain. Um, <laughs> there would there certainly would be a clear path to playing time for him. I think the idealized version of Jaleel Farouk is, is like a really reliable, you know, third down receiver. You know, like mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, Lee Morris-esque, but like maybe kind of Lee Morrissey. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think he might, he'll be inside, but, you know, just one of those really reliable receivers that you can throw to on third down. You know, I know that we had Geno Lewis do that a, a few years ago. Um, and because I, I just mm-hmm. don't know about the long speed for Farouk, I don't think he's beating you over the top and making no. just huge plays. I don't see that either. I think the, I think the Sterling Shepard thing is, is a really bad comparison. I don't see that at all. Um, I respect the person that made it, but I think it's a terrible comparison. He's just, he's way <laughs> bigger. Like Sterling like the, Shepard's, huh? Well, I was going to say, I like the what Sam just said. If 247, if they updated, or maybe I just misremembering, but I could have sworn they had had it at Kenny Stills. But um, the Riley Ridley one, I actually don't mind that one. That, that one's better to me. He's still a yeah. little bigger than he was, but the play style, I can see that. Yeah. And, like, if, if we get a really... You know, he's great friends with Caleb Williams. Maybe they'll have really good – I mean, obviously, that did a lot for Lee Morris and Kyler Murray. You know, like sure. there's – Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to bring up. There's, there's something there. The yeah, there's something there. So, like, you know, I'm not overly high on Jalil Farouk. I think he's – I think he can be a really good football player. But um, if he turns out to be, like, an all-Big 12 type guy, I'll be pretty surprised and pleasantly surprised, that is. But – um, he, he was certainly a worthy take given his relationship with, with Caleb Williams for sure. Yeah. Anyone um, who's six two one ninety and can run, you can usually find somewhere for them to play around. So sure. I don't know if he'll, I like the idea of, you know, kind of having a different body type at receiver. Um, it'll, I'll, I'll be really curious to see where he is in two years. Cause I think that safety is a very, uh, mm-hmm. valid path for him if he's open to it. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's hit on the last couple guys at receiver. Um, let's go to Mario Williams. He is a, a five star wide receiver, five foot ten, listed at one sixty five. So clearly a little smaller um, than these other guys we've talked about. 
you know, he's from Florida. He's, I think he's the first five-star we've ever gotten from the state of Florida. So that That's in correct. itself is, is pretty cool. Also a really great baseball player. I think that the Kyler Murray story kind of helped us out there um, in his recruitment. But this guy is is pretty dynamic on the football mm-hmm. field. He's a guy that I think can play inside or outside. He can beat you vertically. You could throw a bubble screen to him, and he can make guys miss and take it to the house. He can make plays in the return game. Like We haven't had one of these guys in a bit. Yeah, I am a yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mario Williams. And I know that's easy to say he's the five-star guy, but I think people kind of, you know, he committed so early and then he never really wavered. He's kind of quiet. People just kind of forgot about him. But if you watch his huddle, he's super explosive. Like, second step, he's very Kyler. I don't want to say he's Kyler in, like, the way his body of work, you know, skill set is. But in his acceleration, like, second step, he's at top speed. That's kind of what it reminds me of, and he's you know similar frame as well. He's just extremely explosive, and you, you mentioned that he's smaller than these other guys, but if you actually look at kind of the way he's built, he's kind of compact. Like he's not, you know, I think he's more durable than we would think he, yeah. or I think he's more durable than we think he is. Just if you look at his uh, what he's listed at, but I think I don't know what he is in like long speed. It's like if he ran the one hundred. I think it'd be like a 10-8 or something, like, which is extremely fast, but it's not you know, world-class or anything. But right. um, I think you know, that first you know, initial burst, I think he's going to be really good in like, situations where he catches a drag route or mm-hmm. they just throw it to him in a little bubble screen and let him you know, explode out of that. I think those are situations that he'll really excel in because I, I just think he's a really f- interesting thing that we have, like an interesting kind of... Fl- style of player that we haven't really had. Uh, we've had a lot of good receivers, but none that quite, you know, work the way that he does. Yeah. And I think from a body composition standpoint, I think he is more similar to Sterling Shepard. Like I think that there's more Sterling Shepard to Mario Williams than Jalil Farouk. And that he's a guy that can play inside or out. He's five ten, but you could, feel reasonably good if you were to throw a jump ball like he could probably go get it and that was what sterling did um he is probably you know faster than sterling shepherd and like yeah, the long would, speed so. but he's, he's hollywood brown with sterling shepherd size yeah <laughs> i'll take one of those for sure uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's I, a pretty I, good I wide receiver that works out pretty well but yeah that um, that burst that nathan talked about the quick twitch like that is so valuable in a lincoln riley offense like he is going to maximize you and put you in position to use that. You don't have to have the straight line speed to, you know, just completely embarrass guys. Like he's he's the kind of guy that when you you know playing seven on seven or you see those drills where they have the just one on one in a box and you just got to put your hands on the guy. Like mm-hmm. he is the guy that's going to be on the highlight reels where he's got two on one and guys can't even touch him. Like that is yeah. the kind of guy he is. And if you put that with Lincoln, that is dangerous. I think the two four, the twenty four seven comparison for him is Elijah Moore at Ole Miss. Um, okay. You know, that'd be a that's a fun player if you if you put him in Oklahoma's offense. So, and that's a similar yeah. body type, like five ten, one hundred eighty five, or something like that. So. Yeah. I, I yeah I don't know I just really like the I I can see arguments for other guys like I know we're about to talk about Billy Bowman. I, I'm just a big fan of Mario Williams because I see the, the immediate acceleration and I think of, you know, all the different ways that 
Lincoln can use that. Yeah. So my, my last point with Mario is I kind of want to, the position that I expect him to play is that kind of Z receiver behind Marvin Mims. Um, that's where I kind of think he'll start out his career and they'll, they'll, they move all of the receivers around inside and out. But yep. I think that that kind of vertical receiver that, you know, Hollywood played DD Westbrook played, I think that's where they'll start him out. I think Cody Jackson will also start out in that position with Farouk. I think you'll see him at the X, which is kind of more of the possession ish outside receiver spot. And you might see him work inside to a more slot type player yeah. as well. But um, that's just kind of giving an idea of where these guys might play. Um, and it should be noted it, that both Jackson and Williams are early enrollees. Okay. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Uh, let, so you, you mentioned Billy Bowman. Let's, let's get to him. And he is definitely, you know, he's listed as an athlete. He's the number one athlete on rivals. Um, and if you ask any of the coaches at OU, they don't know where he's going to play. Um, I think he's going to play receiver because, you know, based on what they've said, they I think they're going to let him pick. And yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard of a kid picking defensive back when he could be a receiver just as easily. Um, and he's not the kind of guy, you know, like DJ Graham would rather play receiver. But like, you're like, dude, really? You're, you're going to play receiver? Like Billy Bowman can pick receiver and be like, okay, I'm going to play early and make plays. Um, so I, I would expect Billy Bowman to be this kind of slot kind of gadget guy offensively. Um, if I were going to guess at where he starts out his career and then maybe eventually um, they might try defense if it's not working or if it is working and they just want to try him on both sides of the ball. So um, I personally, I think Billy Bowman might be my favorite recruit in the whole class. Um, there's kind of a, you know, a couple layers to that. I think the, the first layer that makes me like him even more is that he decommitted from Texas to come to OU. He was kind of the hallmark player for their class for a long time. And he just decided he would rather go to school with his girlfriend and go to OU, um, which, you know, some people would say that's not the smartest decision in the world. I personally think it's a brilliant decision. Um, so <laughs> yeah, what, what what how do we feel about Billy Bowman? Well, like big, you big said, fan I, of track guys, big fan yeah, of track sure. speed. Yeah, I don't know what his track times are, but I know I remember. I think Kale was Kale Gundy was talking about it on the broadcast. I know they're doing their signing day coverage, and I'm sure he's in that you know ten seven you know legitimate track time range. I, with Billy, you know. I'll be honest, I always, whenever we get the guys that are like, oh, they could play both and they're really good athletes, I always hope they'll play defense just because I want the, the best athletes on defense. But, you know, what's funny is with the depth that we might have next year, the actual quickest way for him to get on the field might actually be offense. So especially if he can play slot and things like that. So I'm really curious to see. I wish he was enrolling early because I really, I think, there's a couple things working in his favor for getting on the field quickly. He, he comes from a really good high school program. He plays for Denton Ryan in the uh, Dallas area or well, Denton um, area. And he plays for, or excuse me. And he's also like physically mature enough. Like if you look at the kids, kind of the way he's built, he's fairly muscular. I think he would hold up, you know, as a freshman fairly well. So I think as far as where he wants to play, I think, you know, I think he'll immediately 
be an impact guy. I bet he does kickoff returns, you know, from the jump next year because he's an extremely good return person as well. Um, and then whether it's offense or defense, I, I kind of think he's going to play offense, like you said. And I think the coaches were you know, just kind of reading between the lines of their comments. That's something that they talked about. You know, they're going to let him pick. And I think you know, that's probably the most likely place. But I just think he's, you know, he's really good at a lot of things. He's a, a totally legitimate DB prospect, totally legitimate wide receiver prospect. Um, and if you watch him, he like like Sam said, he's got a great speed. He he doesn't really seem like he's running super fast, but then you notice he's just running by everybody. He, he, he almost kind of glides when he runs. It's really interesting because guys his size usually don't look like that. But it's just kind of the way it struck me whenever I watched his huddle. Um, I, I'm just fascinated, really, to see what where he plays because I don't know exactly where it's going to be, but I feel pretty confident that he'll be good wherever he is just because of all the things that he does well. Yeah. So this kid is, you know, from honestly, from a body composition there, he's not that dissimilar from Mario Williams, maybe a little thicker. Yeah. Um, I think he has a little bit more explosion than Mario Williams, just in the open field. He's probably not quite as, you know, jitterbug elusive as Mario Williams, but I think once he's in the open field, that dude is, he's just gone. Like there's, there's no question about it, but, um, I could buy I, him being long speed. Like I could buy him being overall faster and far like a, as a 100 meter race or something. Yeah. I think the first couple steps Mario might have him, but Billy might be yeah. faster overall. Yeah. And, and to me, Mario is the more natural receiver. Like I think that he's just going to come in and the more polished receiver, but I think Billy Bowman is a better playmaker, I guess. Like he's okay. the guy that I, I want to put in. You could put him out there at running back and throw him the ball mm-hmm. or even hand him the ball. And I think Their he can make the that. play. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, put him out there in the slot and he's going to, you know, run into rounds with him. Like that role that Seth McGowan was playing earlier this year. Why not put Billy Bowman in that position? You know what I mean? So I think he's that kind of player more so than, than Mario Williams. Who's more, just like a, more pure receiver, um, which I'm, I'm glad we have both of those kind of things covered in this yeah. class. But um, just just another kid that is he's going to add speed to the roster. And that to me, I think that was a little bit lacking this year, to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, just watching the offense like, you know, Rambo's really fast. Marvin Mims is really fast. But I wouldn't call any of those 2019 five-star guys as, as burners or anything. You know, Ramondre Stevenson's not a burner. None of our running backs were. Um, but I think getting guys like Mario Williams and Billy Bowman is, is going to kind of reintroduce that element to the offense. So I'm, I'm really excited about watching them play. And you, you mentioned it. He's – and it feels kind of weird to talk about this, but it is a totally valid part of his recruiting story that he's – coming to OU in large part because he's dating uh, one of the softball players who's like supposedly that was the number one recruit in her softball class. So yeah, she is, she is much better than he is at the respect yeah. sports that they play, which is, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Like, so you, what we're basically saying is thank you, Patty Gasso for landing us also a really good football recruit. Yeah. Shout out to Pat. Yeah, Sherry Cole could pull her weight and figure out how to do something like that. <laughs> Ooh. 
Ooh, fired earn, at earn a whole lot of money for, to play seven people on the court or six people on in a, on the in a game, Sherry Cole. Figure <laughs> something out. Um. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's let's move on to the offensive line. That's that's pretty much the skill positions. I'm not missing anybody on the offense. This was a pretty light year. Um. You know, overall the class was small, but you know, pretty light year in terms of skill positions. Anyways. Yep. Um. And uh, so far, a pretty small offensive line class as well. Let's start with Colin Montgomery, um, who was the has been committed to OU for almost this entire year. He committed in January. Um, I don't really know what to make of him. I think that there are certainly things to like about his film when you watch because he is he is seemingly pretty mean, and yeah, like he's... he finishes blocks really well. He's a mountain of a human being. Um, he's carrying quite a bit of probably not great weight that you want on your college offensive lineman. But, you know, those kind of guys, you know, a lot of them will will trim up and become really good players. Some of them never do, and then they transfer in a year or two, you know. Yeah. So this one could go either way, I think. He is absolutely a beat-a-bo guy. Um, like, just – like, if you – from – I always think of Cody Ford as like beat a bow guy, like as my default. And Cole Montgomery is kind of in that vein, just as like a prospect. So he's absolutely from what beat and bow likes. He's kind of that phone booth, you know, um, blocker. He's extremely mean. He finishes blocks. He embarrasses people. Um, the thing that I think you hit on that will be the make or break thing for Cullen, because before I even say this. He is actually a pretty good athlete. He plays basketball. He has good feet for his size, but he has a lot of bad weight that he needs to redistribute. Um, And I actually am kind of encouraged by whether he'll do that, just be kind of just how how engaged he is with the recruiting class, with OU. He just seems like the personality that, you know, will take it seriously and will do the things he has to do. But if he's going to succeed in college, he has to, or get his body right because it's just he's he's a guaranteed red shirt right now um, because he needs to do that but so did Cody Ford whenever he was coming out so um, if he does those things you know I think he could be a sleeper kind of guy but as far as you know from the class overall I think he's one of the few guys that was, we were a little iffy on um, mm-hmm. as far as just taking especially so early because they had so many at that point they had a lot of options but you you mentioned it. He there are things to like about him. Um, it's just whether he can fix the things that will be uh, the barriers for whether he can you know actually capitalize on what he's good at. He has good feet. He finishes blocks. He does all those things. But in order to accomplish all of that, he has to get his body right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all I'm right, not look- not loving what I'm seeing out of a stance from this guy. But I mean, I'm not worried about our ability to develop a line um they obviously identified him very early so that's a good sign i mean there are not many people no major programs beat us to the punch on offering him so that is obviously a good sign right there yeah let's let's move on to a guy that is completely different in savion (laughs) bird who pretty much everything you said about colin montgomery is not true about bird yeah (laughs) bird is just this ridiculously raw kind of you know uber athletic uber athletic 
you know, if you look at him, he doesn't he doesn't look fat at all. No. Like he just he carries his weight really well. Um, he's the kind of guy that you can look at in two years and he's 330 pounds and a ridiculous athlete at the position. Um, or he's a guy that you look at in a couple years and he never really developed into a actually good offensive lineman. You know, so yeah. this one also could go either way. The upside is probably higher for a guy like Savion Bird because Absolutely. it's not there's there's zero physical limitations for Savion Bird. Um, so it's really going to come down to him developing as a technician and as a his mentality as an offensive lineman. Yeah. So the and the interesting thing with him is he, he played offensive tackle. He played he goes to Duncanville, which is a really good high school in Texas. Um, he played offensive tackle. Then the next year they had a lot of issues on the defensive line, so he played defensive tackle his junior year. And then this year he played guard because they had you know other guys that could. He needed help at guard. They had the tackles taken care of, so he played interior. So he's played three different spots in three years. Um, I, I think he needs to get a lot stronger. Um, he needs to. He's super raw, like you said, but um, the, the upside's undeniable. He and I think, if I remember correctly, twenty-four-seven's comparison for him is DJ Humphreys, uh, former Florida, current Arizona Cardinals tackle. And I think that's dead on. If he develops like he, you know, if he actually hits, I think that's a really good comparison for him because that is a very, very athletic offensive tackle that was pretty raw coming out of high school um, and developed. So I think, you know, he's got the feet. He's got everything that you look for. It's just, can he actually learn to be an offensive lineman? I'm... A big fan of this guy. I know he was one early on. You know, I don't follow recruiting as closely as you guys do, but he was one early on that was just, he jumps out of the video when you see him. He's like, man, if we can land this guy, like you, we've seen what Beanboat can do with, you know, the three stars, the low four stars, like almost every offensive lineman we've gotten drafted in the past few years is of that quality. You know, what can we do with a top guy like Savion Bird and maybe Tristan Lee, if we can land that one, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, what what can we do with Uber recruits like that? And he is just a fun one to watch. I think OU fans will be very happy when they see this guy on the field. And also, Gay Biker talked about this. He has skinny ankles, and that's Gay Biker's like a weird thing to look for. So just throw that out there. He has skinny ankles. So whether that's a portends future ankles, good athlete. Yep. <laughs> I know skinny yeah, skinny ankles in basketball, I guess say skinny ankles means he's gonna grow and he's gonna be like uber athletic. So I assume that was uh similar to Gabe's eval. Yeah. All right, do we I like talk it. Is about? that is that everybody on the offense? Do we have anyone else on well, we the we can talk about Tristan Lee um real quick if we want. Yeah. Uh, five star offensive tackle out of Virginia. Um, he announces on January 2nd, so he is not committed. He's not signed. But OU is considered the leader at this point. Um, Alex, Sam, what do you guys think about Tristan? Um, I think just, you know, I will take all of the talent that is available. Um, Tristan Lee seems like a cool dude. He's, he's a little bit undersized too, right? You know, and uber athletic kind of guy that would um, certainly set a tone if you have him and Savion Bird on the same offensive line. 
Yeah, so yeah. I think the frame for there is there for him. He's like 6'6", 285 or 300. You know, he, he's got the size. I, I, I think with Lee, he's further along than Savion Bird is as far as like being a lineman, um, yeah. how polished he is. I think he does – he'll need to get stronger uh, for right. sure because I, I remember watching that, but I think he's – He's another one of those guys. He finishes blocks. He, you know, I can you can see why Beatonbow is and why everyone was drawn to him. Um, but he already has pretty good size. He just, you know, and he also he's and also to go with Bird. He played defense as well in his high school. He played defensive line some as well. So the athleticism's so, there. What I I think that there there are really two kinds of five star offensive linemen that you see mm-hmm. regularly, and it's the guys that are freaking ready to go when they get on campus, you know, yeah. like an Evan Neal a couple of years ago at Alabama. Like he was just like Jonah ready. Williams. Yeah. yeah. Jonah, like these guys that go to these places and they start immediately and they're just badasses. And then right. there's guys like Tristan Lee that, you know, that there's, they're going to be that kind of badass in like two years. You know, yeah, like he's uh... not necessarily there, but you're like, okay, just, it's just you're biding your time until he's there. For sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like the the first one that comes to mind is uh, Tyron Smith kind of guy um, mm-hmm. who probably straight out of college or high school, he wasn't quite ready, but he just became a, you know, just, you know. An I personally pro. would like to have a Tyron Smith on the yeah, offensive I'll line. Yeah, I'll take him too, especially if he has the neck roll because that is yeah. the best. All offensive linemen should wear neck rolls. Agreed. Um, Agreed. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I think Lee is, you know, deserving of the, the ranking. I would not expect him if he were to choose OU to start immediately. But if he told me he was in the two deep, I would believe that. Um, yeah, I, I think he needs to get stronger. I wish he was enrolling early also um, mm-hmm. because, you know, he he would really benefit from that and actually probably have a good chance of playing a lot if he did that just due to having the extra time in the strength and conditioning. But Talent's undeniable. He's got the athleticism. He's got the size. He just, you know, year two, I think he would absolutely be in contention for a starting spot. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have to wrap this one up because our friend Sam has to leave. Real quick, Uh, though, I would like to talk about, and you guys will talk about him on the defensive podcast, but I think there is potential uh, for this guy to be talked about in an offensive context down the road. And it is a Western Oklahoma prospect that I am familiar with, Ethan Downs, um, okay. who OU is recruited as a defensive end. ESPN has him listed as an athlete. He did, you know, as most players do in 4A in Oklahoma. He played both sides of the ball, uh, played a lot of running back and tight end for Weatherford High School. Um, there, there are some rumors that, you know, when he, he – could end up being a guy that does switch to the offensive side of the ball when he gets to OU. He has good size and athleticism. Um, it's a question of can he put on the size to be a defensive lineman and keep that athleticism? Um, so there's definitely a chance that he could end up being that H-back type um, at OU, which watching him in high school, he was certainly better at that. He was obviously a very good player. I've always thought if you were playing at a school that small, though, especially on no matter what you do, either side of the ball, you should be absolutely jumping off the page. Like you should be destroying 4A linemen in Oklahoma. I should know because I was a 4A offensive lineman in Oklahoma 
and they're not very big. Like they, yeah. there are not many that are that good. And when you're, you know, that size, that level of recruit, he was obviously very solid uh, for Weatherford. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think, you know, you should be absolutely killing people every play at that level. And on the defensive side, never really saw that. Um, he was great at camps, and that's where OU fell in love with him, and a lot of other schools fell in love with him too. Um, so there's obviously yeah. something there, but I do think there's the potential, especially getting an athlete like that on the field. Um, you know, I think Braden Willis, is he going to be gone next year? I think no, he'll still back. be there. Um, okay, well, we, we have a lot of guys there. I mean, Mikey Henderson will still be at that position, but it is just, it is, there's definitely the possibility for him to end up on the offensive side of the ball down the road. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's uh, let's wrap this this kind of offensive version um, up, and Nathan and I are gonna finish up with the defense on a new episode. We're gonna have to stop because Sam is the one recording this, and he has to leave. And I hope that through my recording, twenty four seven is annoying in that they start an ad anytime you open a new tab. So I hope. My my recording hasn't picked up every single 24/7 ad that is <laughs> like you get the first five seconds of every Best Buy ad that's on 24/7 when I've started recording. <laughs> well, I haven't heard anything, so hopefully that's that's how the recording picked it up. So, all right. Um. So how do you want to wrap this up? You want me to? Do yeah, the usual ahead. thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, rate five stars, leave a review, subscribe, follow everyone on Twitter except Nathan, which you probably have done all those things at this point. Um, thank you for listening, Alex and Nathan. Will you will soon get to hear them again talking about all our guys on the defensive side of the ball, and I'm sure we will be back again sometime soon to talk about the season as a whole, the college football playoff, the Cotton Bowl, and you might hear me, Alex and Ryan, talk about basketball at some point because that is happening again uh, very quickly. So thank you for listening and listen again.